You're listening to Ed Curation, the podcast where teachers talk curriculum. We make it easier for educators to find the resources they need to create fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Well, welcome to another episode of Ed Curation. I'm excited to have Ashley Cooksey here. She's a school librarian in Arkansas, and she's our first guest from Arkansas. So thanks for coming on the show, Ashley. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk today. I think you also might be the first school librarian on our podcast. So tell us about how long you've been working in school libraries. I have been in school libraries for about 10 years. I was a third grade teacher before that. Unfortunately, um, in Arkansas, we are one of only 16 states that require school librarians to have a master's level degree. So after teaching in the classroom for two years, I went back to receive my master's in library media and have been in love with the library ever since. Uh, that's really cool. So have you worked mostly in elementary schools, middle schools, high schools, university level? Talk to us about the types of schools and students that you've served. Absolutely. I have actually worked with a full spectrum of students. I have been at the high school, middle school levels. I have been in an elementary library for approximately five years. I've also worked as an instructional technology coach, and now I am an adjunct professor at the University of Central Arkansas. I work in their instructional technology and their library media department. So I'm able to kind of work with pre-service teachers or teachers that are working on their master's level programs, as well as students across the state and, of course, in professional development and working with some of our local cooperatives around the state, doing a little bit of coding, a little bit of standards, a little bit of library. And that's kind of where I've been for the last few years. I've done a little bit of work with the American Association of School Libraries and writing blog posts for them as well as working with the ISTE standards, Future Ready Libraries, and the All for Ed and their Alliance for Education. I did a couple of webinars with them and worked really closely with Shannon Miller. Fantastic. So you are very qualified to talk to us today about Code Spark, coming from both the instructional technology coach perspective and the school library perspective and working with pre-service teachers. So tell us how you learned about Code Spark and what kind of has you liking this curriculum product. So I first heard about Code Spark a few years ago. I believe it was brand new when we began working with it. As an elementary librarian, I was fortunate enough to be able to curriculum plan with our computer lab teacher. We actually co-taught all of our classes. So we had a really unique setup where we split our classes. The computer lab teacher, Ms. Hogan, would take half and I would take the other half. We would work in smaller groups with them. So our class size was always around 15 or less. And we began to partner plan together. We were hired at the same time. So all of our curriculum that we planned and the library is heavy in technology, and we were able to kind of take a little bit deeper dive into what we were teaching when we began teaching units. Luckily, Denise Hogan, my partner teacher at the time, her degree was actually in computer programming, so she can build computers from the ground up, and that's not where I came from. So when we began exploring coding a little bit more in the library and in the computer lab, CodeSpark was a great first place for us to start because we were K-6 
school librarian and a computer lab teacher, she had a lot more experience in the coding department than I did. And it was a great way for us to kind of get in with our younger students in coding. And it was also an excellent way since it's wordless coding and programming, it's beginners coding. It was a great way for us to bring in literacy and picture books to the coding spectrum. And I noticed that when we began first coding and I was learning a little bit about it, because I learned right along with the students, I would sit down at a computer at a desktop with them as Miss Hogan was talking about the lesson and introducing coding concepts. And I would sit down with them and just learn alongside them. And I noticed that the skills that she was teaching were also skills that as a classroom teacher, I taught in my literacy classroom and as a librarian that I would work into lessons as we would do a read aloud or explore deeper into text. So I was able to kind of make that connection and began pulling a little bit more from the coding curriculum into my library curriculum. Wow, that is such an interesting story. I mean, with the new K-12 computer science standards coming out and with schools needing to offer computer science learning to kids, like you're saying, from K-6 and lots of teachers that don't have experience with this or with, you know, they don't know how to code themselves. They weren't computer science people themselves. And so how did that go for you as you had this partner that was probably helpful to kind of encourage you to do it and try it and expose you to it? But then talk to us about how you learned to code beside your teacher and how was it teaching them with this tool when you weren't yet an expert? So I actually, like I said, since I had no coding experience, I learned alongside the students. When they would get stuck on something, it was generally an area that I was stuck at. So we were able to kind of talk through and work out the problem. And that's where we brought in some of the language. So we would talk about debugging if we could get stuck somewhere in one of the levels of CodeSpark. But in the computer science standards, they align really nicely with the ISTE standards, which we were already using. And Arkansas actually has a computer science initiative that was started by our governor, and it was pushing computer science down into the lower grades. So on top of what we were already doing in the computer lab, having that initiative and that support from our state department was really nice as well. And I'm sure that you know many school libraries begin teaching computer science and coding. Libraries are more than just books now. They are a huge area for not only computer science, but making, 3D printing, green screen, all kinds of exploration. So having those computer science standards, being able to work alongside my students and, like I said, learn together. We failed together many, many times. You always have those students that are, can figure it out. You know, their, their mind works like computer science. They can see the patterns. They can see what comes next we would lean a lot on those students. So we empowered those students who were often more of the quieter students in class to use their voice and to help the students who were struggling to help me when I was struggling. And using the CodeSpark, since it is wordless, we were able to bring it down to our lower grades. We used CodeSpark mainly with our K-3 students. The third graders loved it. We still had older students that would use it from time to time, especially with the the game design where you can design and build your own games. But our teachers would also kind of come through the library on their way to recess or the cafeteria or just stop in early to pick up their students. And they would notice the students problem solving and working through 
something when they got stuck, trying to figure out what happened or what went next or where there was a problem in their line of code. They were using words like algorithm. If something didn't work, a teacher stopped one day and she said, you know, my student just said they had to debug their algorithm. And that was a first grader. Wow. Okay. So I've heard you mention a couple of times that CodeSpark is, what did you call it? A text-free or it's all pictures? Tell our listeners a little bit about CodeSpark exactly. So CodeSpark Academy was founded by our founder, Grant, actually developed this program because his daughter wanted to go to, I believe, a computer science robotics after school club. She was not only the youngest student, but she was also the only girl. And he knew that computer science was important. So he began to develop this computer science program. It's called CodeSpark Academy. It is free to educators. So you can build your classroom and have students join. That way you can kind of keep track of where they are in their coding levels. And it starts with just basics. It is wordless, so it does give them a little sort of like a comic book scenario and where you follow the characters through, and then you begin to kind of work through some problems. Since it is wordless, it uses what we call blocky coding, so just a block of commands, for example, move forward instead of typing out the HTML or the JavaScript. It's just a little block that has an arrow of the person walking forward. So as you begin to kind of put your blocks in order, it works through the level that you're on. The students can earn stars for each level. The stars can then be used to kind of customize their characters, build in and add new things onto their levels. In their game design, it can be used for costumes or for action buttons. So they can kind of As they advance in the levels, they're earning more stars and are able to use that. So it does gamify the learning, but since it is wordless, even pre-K students can use this program. Wow. So at what age do they transition from this CodeSpark Academy and this wordless gamified kind of character approach to actually coding with language? Does that happen right after that? Is there a kind of a transition? How does it work? Usually around, we would transition a little bit in second and third grade to a little deeper coding using things like Scratch, because in Scratch, it is still blocky coding, but then you can actually take those blocks and transfer it into more of a scripted language. So the students can kind of see both sides of it. And around third grade was when I noticed students were able to start kind of taking those blocky steps and moving them into kind of a scripted step process on their coding. That's amazing. It's so exciting to imagine that the next generation or the all these students that you're talking about that are at the elementary level are going to graduate ready in ways that previous generations haven't been as widespread, right? I mean, we've always had some, you know, STEM students or technology-driven and skilled students, but it seems like with programs like CodeSpark, we're able to meet the demands of the workplace, or we're going to be able to much better than we have in the past. It's so exciting. So did you, or was your school teaching coding at the K-3 level before you found CodeSpark, or was CodeSpark really the impetus that made this possible? Denise, the computer lab teacher, had an after-school technology club, 
and they did all types of things. She did a little bit of coding with them, but not as much. With CodeSpark, we were actually able to open it up quite a bit more because students could download the app on their devices, they could play at home, and they were able to kind of explore a little bit on their own with the coding. It was not until about a year or so into us using CodeSpark that we actually decided to set the library up. We moved the computer lab into the library and we set the library up into kind of makerspace stations and exploration areas. And we developed one of our stations to be a coding station. So we used CodeSpark there where students could explore levels on their own. Luckily with CodeSpark, you can set up classes so that your students log in with their username and password or their identification number. And you can sort of monitor where they are so you can open levels as students reached a certain point. For example, I would always start out with only having the sequencing levels open because that's one of the first things to learn is how to put your steps in a specific order. And then as students would progress through and they reached a certain level, let's say level nine, then I would open up the next game on CodeSpark. So there's multiple games and multiple levels of where you learn different skills in the coding. So that was kind of a way that we were able to sort of control what the students were doing where they didn't jump too far ahead into the levels and get you know, stuck on something that was a little more complicated that they hadn't learned before. What are you noticing about students' enthusiasm for working with CodeSpark and learning to code and becoming more proficient in their coding as they go up in grades and are able to transition to use a more scripted language? Like, are the majority of students gravitating to this? Is it about, do you think it's about half? Is it a small percentage? You know, like in the old days when only white males would like coding, or do you feel like more students are being reached through your work with CodeSpark? I actually feel like we have quite a few students who were becoming a little bit more interested in coding and working with computer science. Like you said, typically in what I remember in high school, it was all white males who were interested in that. You know, I have just the Steve Jobs, you know, um, Bill Gates kind of image in my head. And now with having all of these different programs and CodeSpark, it actually reached a lot more of our students. It put it on a level that they could understand. It wasn't anything that was too complicated. The school district that I was at, the particular campus I was at, out of about 550 students, we had around 150 to 175 students that were ESL students. So they were English as a second language. And having CodeSpark as wordless coding made it a universal language. So there wasn't a barrier between a Spanish-speaking student and a native English-speaking student. They were able to work together on the games. They could figure out how to do something because it was, you know, using your characters sort of like cartoons and adding in what you need to have. I think that it kind of really broke down the playing field. It evened it out a little bit for, for all of our students to explore And I have a video, I believe it's on my Instagram page, of one of our students, and I believe she was a kindergartner. She was a female student working through one of the crocodile catch levels. And crocodile catch is a variables and inequalities level. And this student in kindergarten, as I was watching her, you have to catch coins as they fall. 
and it will give you a variable or inequality. Let's say you need greater than 25 coins. And I watched her for a little while and I, I asked her, I said, why are you still catching coins? And she said, well, I need to have greater than 25 coins. And right now I only have 13. I haven't met my variable yet. Wow. That's a kindergartner sharing wow. that information. And it was just crazy because, you know, thinking back to when I was in school, I don't know that I even knew any females that were interested in computer science. Yeah, sure. Now having, you know, being able to even out the playing fields for our students, working at the high school level with students, I was seeing more, more females enter computer science courses, robotics courses, entering even our East Lab courses. And East is a community service course that does projects in design, video, graphics. So I noticed that not only was it helping our students that may not be native English speakers, but it was also kind of allowing girls to step into the computer science role and into the problem solver role because they were able to see themselves in the games. The characters in the games are all different shapes and sizes, girls, boys. So it's, you know, it's really great to be able to to see those students reflected in that as well. That's great. So tell us about what you learned in learning how to to work with students with Code Spark. You told us a little bit about how you didn't have the background and how you learned beside the students. How has using this teaching tool, teaching and learning tool, made you a better librarian? One thing that I noticed, and it may not necessarily have any reflection on me in working with the students in computer science, watching them develop patience and critical thinking was amazing because you know, like I said, there would be places in their line of code that may be incorrect and they would need to go back and debug or figure out what piece in their code was incorrect. Since it was gamified and it was, they did have an avatar, I think that it gave them a little bit of ownership into what they were doing. So they took time to go back and work through problems. And I also kind of think that being able to just relate it to their classroom work really helped in the library because I was able to pull into, like I said, pieces that I knew I was teaching in a literacy classroom, like sequencing. Any kindergarten, first grade, second grade teacher, even third grade in a literacy classroom, they're going to discuss the sequence of a story. What happened at the beginning? What happens next? What happens in the middle? What happens at the end? And that's one of the very basics of coding is being able to put your directions in a specific order. Right. That's really exciting to imagine students at that age being able to code successfully, relate their game that they're working through to their literacy lessons and be able to work alongside students whose native language is different from their own. I mean, that's just so inspiring. So speaking of inspiration, Can you share any particular stories of success that one student might have achieved with this curriculum? Well, I'm actually kind of thinking of a group of students, and I believe they were in third grade. As we would kick off Hour of Code Week in December, we always kind of began some of our lessons and activities the previous week with unplugged coding activities. So where they were actually working through data sets and problems off of computers. 
I always tried to do a picture book that week. And I had one of those carpets that most elementary schools have that have the little dots on them for students to kind of have their little personal space and not crowd each other. So we would take that carpet and actually turn it into the story that I was reading. I read The Very Hungry Caterpillar one year. And the students would sit on the outside of the carpet. And before we began reading, we would talk about sequencing and coding and that giving a computer directions is the only way a computer knows how to do something. So it's not going to do anything that you don't tell it. If I tell my mouse to click, it's only going to click if I push that button. So in a line of code, your code is going to run until you tell it to stop and you have to give it specific directions. So the students would sit on the outside of the carpet as I read through the Very Hungry Caterpillar and they would have to tell me the fruit was on a different square. So they would have to tell me how many steps to take and in which direction to go to reach each piece of fruit in the story. And I have a picture of the students and they're holding up their hands and it's an old school. I remember doing it when I was in kindergarten. If you hold up your hands where you're looking at the back of your hands, your fingers, your index finger and your thumb on your left hand makes the L shape, kind of like if you were making the loser sign your left hand actually makes that L shape. And I remember I talked about that with the students and they all held their hands up and we talked about left and right. So the students, as they were giving me directions, I would watch several of them as they would hold up their hands and their shapes to find their left side. Several in that class did. And I remember the teacher coming back to me later that day and she said, what did you do to get them to know their left and their right? Because they're telling me left and right all the time now. They're not pointing and saying, go that way or go this way, or it's on the side. They're saying, it's on the left side of my paper. It's on the right side of my paper. And wow. I just kind of told her the little hand trick. And she said, I always forget about those things because we're so wrapped up in the technology part that we sometimes forget about the analog pieces. Uh -huh. So um, just kind of sharing those little, little things. And I just remember the students, you know, kind of just holding it up and I didn't think anything of it. You know, we were all working together, but the teacher, I guess it impacted them that they continued to use it outside the library. So they were becoming familiar with the way coding works through the reading of the story and the remaking of the story on the rug and figuring out if things are going left or right and instantly they were able to transfer that to their long-term memory, it sounds, because it was so meaningful to them. Right, yeah. And just that, you know, like I said, analog and sometimes the tactile, the hands-on things make the biggest impact. Sure. So who do you think should check out CodeSpark Academy? Definitely any elementary teacher, because as you can see, it's not one specific area. You don't have to just do coding in the computer lab. It relates to so many different content areas, math, science. You can even relate it to social studies with some of the characters that are in the game. So I think any elementary teacher, it's actually open for parents to subscribe. So you can actually have students coding at home as well. And what would you say to the teachers that might be like you were years ago, kind of unfamiliar with how to teach coding? Can you give them some words of encouragement? It's not as hard as you think. Just get in and try it. I actually downloaded the CodeSpark app to my phone while we were working with students so that I could kind of explore through it. You know, those times when you're waiting in line in the grocery store, you have just a couple of minutes. 
I would just kind of jump on the game and work through some of the levels so I could see where my students are. And CodeSpark actually has cheat codes for teachers on their website. Wow, Ashley, that's really exciting. Well, now that you know about CodeSpark and you've really kind of maximized the use of this when you are working with the elementary school library, what do you think is the next kind of curriculum product or resource that you see as a need as you work at the university now um, to support new teachers? What's the next tool that developers of curriculum ought to be making or that we at EdCuration need to help you find that would make your and the teachers that you support their jobs easier? So one thing that I have actually noticed and I've kind of researched and looked a little bit further into, but there is just so much information out there about it is open education resources. So OER tools, because teachers create their own materials and they, like you are with the podcast, creating and curating resources and materials, the copyright with some of the materials kind of ends at the purchase of it. However, people are creating all of these OER tools and resources out there for teachers to be able to use in their classroom, as long as they are using them with respect to their Creative Commons licensing. So that's kind of one thing that I've, I've looked into a little bit. But like I said, there's just so much out there on and where you can find open education resources and Creative Commons licensing. So that's kind of the next big thing that I'm, I see and that I'm looking into and that I try to attend as many professional developments as I can, because I know that that is a huge piece. Teachers spend enough of their own money on resources and material. A lot of times schools cannot afford the next best and newest and greatest. So being able to find those tools that are cheap or free or that you're able to reuse or remake, I think is critical to our education. I agree. I'm glad that you brought that up today. That is definitely something that we at Ed Curation can help with. And I appreciate hearing from you about what a, a need that is to be able to access affordable or free. You know, there's plenty of great teaching and learning tools that are being developed by nonprofits that are free to teachers or foundation funded. And so making those more available is definitely something that we can help with at Ed Curation. So thanks for advocating for that. Yes, I think that it is so, like I said, it's so important because teachers need quality resources, but a lot of times we don't have access to that. So being able to find those and knowing what is actually quality resources and not just something that is just put out there as here, this is a free tool for you to use. Right. Well, that's why we appreciate experts like you coming on the show and helping to inform about what's worked in your experience. So thank you so much, Ashley. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us tonight. And I wish you the best with your college students as you're preparing them for impacting generations in the future. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking about CodeSpark tonight. Thank you for listening to Ed Curation. We hope you learned something today about a curriculum resource that produces fresh, lively, and authentic learning. Check out edcuration.com to find out more. That's E-D-C-U-R-A-T-I-O-N.com.